Good morning, church. This morning's passage is found in Psalm 3. Please stand for the reading of the word. Beginning in verse 1. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek, you break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. You may be seated. This is God's word. Got it all in. All right, Michael, thank you. All right, well, you're there, Psalm 3, and um, as you're just looking over that passage this morning, as we're considering uh, the psalmist, who is David, talking through Psalm 3, explaining what, what all that means for us this morning, I want you to think back this morning on a time in your life where, where perhaps you, you felt like everything in your, in your hands that you're holding kind of were just falling apart a, a bit. Uh, I know, starting off on a really high note this morning at church, but... Uh, for a second, think about that. Maybe you don't have to think too, too far back. Uh, ho hopefully not, but maybe it's been a rough morning. Maybe it's been a rough weekend or even a tough week. Um, but think about that, that, that season of life. Maybe your mind is drawn to a larger scale stressful season. Uh, maybe it's a, you know, a period of depression. Maybe it's the end of a relationship with somebody um, in your life, a spouse, a parent, a close friend. Uh, maybe it's the loss of a job, loss of income. That can be always very stressful and hard. Uh, financial crisis in that way. Maybe it's the, the death of someone close to you. Um, maybe it's even the news that someone else is going through something uh, and you're close to them and you feel kind of that in proximity. Uh, perhaps it's a betrayal of some sort. And, and the reason why I want to start off on such a sad note, on a high note, and, and, and in some ways, I, I want us to understand the, the thinking, the, the place that the, the author of Psalm 3 comes from this morning as we consider this psalm. And uh, we, we talked about this last week as we jumped into the book of Psalms, as we look at this this summer. Um, the book of Psalms is, is fantastic for many reasons. One of the reasons is because it really encapsulates so many different emotions and feelings that we have going through life. And if you have felt joy, if you have felt um, sorrow, if you felt disappointment, if you felt gratitude, all those things are, are there in the book of Psalms. And so you don't have to turn very far or look hard to see that. And so this is really about King David in many ways and his posture to the Lord and having him crying out. And so just for some context, in 2 Samuel, we see King David. Perhaps you know uh, him. He's the legendary king of Israel. He's the killer of giants. He's a man after God's own heart. We've had many descriptions of David throughout uh, the Bible. And David had countless victories on the battlefield. He was one of the most popular people to ever exist in Israel, yeah, beloved by his country. But as, as you know, the cracks in David's armor has kind of slowly begun to show. And, and fresh off of an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, which resulted in murdering her husband and the cover-up, 
David's immediate family begins to fall apart too. And if you don't know the story, it starts when David's son, Amnon, uh, rapes his half-sister Tamar. And in defense of his sister's honor, David's other son, Absalom, kills Amnon and starts an insurrection against her father, David. And the Bible says that Absalom, uh, David's son, was very handsome. Uh, he was very winsome. And he would sit, uh, he'd sit at the front gate of the palace. And people would come to David and they would uh, want to ask a question or ask a favor of King David because he had all the resources. And Absalom, because he was very smart and, and witty and and shrewd, he would stop them and say, I'm sorry, but King David doesn't have any time for you today. Uh, he's busy, but I, actually, I have time. I can help you. How can Absalom help you? How can I help you today, meet your needs? And because of this, Absalom started winning people to himself, his shrewdness and his treachery. Many people left David and joined Team Absalom. And David finally had no choice but to flee Jerusalem, which is crazy because King David had to flee uh, his own palace. He was on the run because his own son had run him out of town. And it was in this season that David writes Psalm 3. So I hope that kind of puts your, your own stuff in perspective a little bit. Hope we all have family drama, but maybe none of it arises to the level of King David. Uh, I guess it can always be worse, right? Um, psalm 3 is considered the first psalm in the category called Songs of the Lament. Lament meaning crying out, grieving while in pain. And it, it starts with David crying out to the Lord. And then Psalm 3 shifts in tone to this renewed confidence that David has in God. It's kind of almost like before, have you, have you guys ever uh, talked to yourself and you talk to yourself kind of into a fever and you kind of realize what's true and what's not true? It's like this is what David's doing. He starts out crying out to God and saying, God, help me. Where are you? I need help. It's everybody surrounding me. And by the end, he realizes this is the truth about the situation he's in, that God is, in fact, in charge, and that he's the one who's going to advocate on his behalf. And so as we read this psalm, a roadmap appears, a helpful set of kind of practical guidelines, handrails emerge, and Psalm 3 will help us answer this question this morning. Where do I turn when it all falls apart? And I hope this speaks to you this morning. Um, I hope this speaks to someone maybe in your family or a friend of yours or someone who's going through something difficult this morning because King David is discouraged. He's in a low place. And I want you to notice that right off the bat, he complains. He complains just like you and I would, would complain. But what we can learn about uh, David here and, and how we relate to the Lord is how David complains. David doesn't waste his time with talking to his friends or kind of gossip or sideways energy, David complains up. He talks to God about his problems. And I would suggest the same for us uh, this morning. So where do I turn when it all fall, falls apart? Uh, point number one this morning is simply this. Bring your problems to God first. Bring your problems to God first. Look at verse one. Oh Lord, how, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. So again, David's experiencing deep betrayal. And not only is David's son Absalom turned his back on David, but half of his kingdom as well, his closest friends, his, his people that he thought were on his team in his inner circle, many people he loved and trusted, now were doing all they could to end his life and end his reign over Israel. Now, this is a grand scale type of betrayal, but many of you have experienced this before too, where at, on one day, 
the world is looking grand and awesome and uh, sunshine and rainbows and flowers. And the next day, you get news, you, you have a conversation, and things start to unravel. And it's not just one problem, but it's problem after problem. It's, it's while you're underneath the sink trying to fix that broken plumbing, you get the call also that your kid's sick at school. Right? It's like that feeling, like, oh, I was just doing this, and now I'm doing both things. Uh, many are rising against me, David says in verse 1. Many are rising against me. This is a military term that David uses, and he sees these issues, and maybe you do in your life as well, as battle-worthy. And he responds in, this, in despair because he doesn't have enough resources or weapons to fight everything against him. Verse 2 takes it a step further. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. You see, this is especially heartbreaking because when someone's in trouble and things are bad, one might say only God can save them. Good news. God, God's here. He can help you out. Well, the word on the street for David is that David is beyond even God's help. This can only lead to more discouragement, right? That people are saying there's no salvation for him, not even in God. God himself can't help David. And it creates this fear. Charles Spurgeon says it well. He says, it's the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. And so David has known and felt that fear uh, here in Psalm 3. And so I just want to ask you guys, have you ever felt that way before? Have you ever felt that fear that, that things are so dire, so hard that I, mean, I don't even know if God can kind of pull me out of this? Some scholars believe that the general consensus in the kingdom was that David had been cursed. And uh, God had turned his back on David because uh, David had committed adultery and murder in the Bathsheba situation. And, and while he repented, God forgave him, there were still these consequences for his sin. And it's a, it's a stark reminder for us as well that there are consequences to sin. 2 Samuel 12, 11, the Lord said, Behold, I will raise up evil against you out of your own house. And so God carries this out through Absalom's rebellion against David. And so it's an important reminder for us. The Lord will forgive our sins, but he may not remove the consequences. It doesn't mean he's, he hates you. It doesn't mean he's judging you in that moment. But there are consequences to brokenness. There are consequences to our actions. Was David beyond saving? Absolutely not. But Psalm 3 is a reminder that the result of sin can be painful and difficult. But despite all that, instead of only relying on hearsay and what his enemies are doing and saying, David brings his problems to the Lord first. Do, do you and I do this, church? Do we do this well? Do we bring our problems to the Lord? Uh, is that something that is a regular kind of response for us? When we uh, face opposition, stress, uh, tragedy, do we call out to God first? I want to suggest that most of us probably don't. We probably call out to our uh, friends or a spouse or, or maybe our kids or, or maybe a parent we call, maybe a friend uh, that we, we have right there on speed dial. All of us, by the way, all of those people are not equipped to give you what you need. I think nowadays, um, you know, technology, uh, which, which I really believe is kind of a, a amoral thing, it's not necessarily good or bad, but it can sometimes lead us down this path that leads us astray in these settings. So an observation from my life, when I, when I deal with something hard, oftentimes for me, I oftentimes run to, to distraction. 
That's what I want to experience, right? When I, when I um, even before human wisdom, sometimes even before talking to friends, before asking my wife for help, before I ask God for help, plan A is usually I pick up my phone, I'll distract myself with music, or maybe I'll put on a show on Spotify or on, on Netflix and just kind of let my mind be clear for an hour uh, before I actually try and deal with the issue. Or plan B is I pick up my phone and I reach out to a friend. I, I text a friend, I dump on them, and they may even have some good advice or be helpful. But here's what you and I can learn from King David, is that somewhere along the way, we have to realize that remembering the Lord first and praying to him first and calling up to him first is really the, the best plan of action. That we would open up our, our hearts and hearing God's wisdom first. And that's the thing that I need the most. Scripture is full of reasons for us to turn to God first. And uh, you see this all throughout Scripture. Psalm 55, 22. Cast your burdens on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all of your anxieties on him because he cares for you. How many of you have felt anxiety this week? And I know I have. And it's clear in 1 Peter that I can cast that anxiety on a caring God. There are dozens of passages like these that remind us to, to point our complaints and our problems upwards first. At the end of verse 2, uh, we see a word for the first time that's seen 71 times in the Psalms. Psalm chapter 3 is the first Psalms that records this kind of mysterious word, Selah, Selah. It occurs three times in the psalm following verses 2, 4, and 8. And the general consensus is that word is a musical notation. No one knows for sure what it means, uh, but many believe that it's a call to stop uh, kind of the song and to think about the meaning of the word. And so uh, this short yet intentional pause to reflect. And as David reflects... He pauses, and then I, I believe he finds renewed confidence. And this leads us to point two, that when it all falls apart, we are called to put your confidence in the Lord. Number two, put your confidence in the Lord. At the beginning of the psalm, David models a very relatable posture. He's discouraged, he's desperate, he's hurt, he's humiliated. And a shift happens in verse three. Uh, James Montgomery Boyce he comments, when a, when a believer gazes too long at his enemies, the force arrayed against him seems to grow in size until it appears to be overwhelming. But when he turns his thoughts to God, which is what David does in verse 1 and 2, God is seen in his true great stature, and the enemies shrink to manageable proportions. In verses 3 through 6, David remembers that he is not alone. In church, neither are we. If you have your faith in Christ. If you are in church community, we are not alone either. And David begins to remind himself of these two important things. David reminds himself of who God is and what God has done, which, by the way, is a great template for if you are ever feeling discouraged or worried, uh, if you're ever feeling lost in this life, if you just re recall and remember who God is and what God has done uh, that will bring you so much comfort and peace. We must remember and practice good theology in times of pain and stress. That's what David's doing here, is he's remembering who God is. What are his characteristics? What is God like? 
And not only that, historically, what has God done in the past for me that brings me confidence today? David gets theological. And as a result of his good theology, he puts his confidence in the Lord, first of all, because of who God is. Verse 3 says this, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. We'll talk about verse 3 for a few minutes. I want to see a, a few personal terms which David describes God here. He's a shield about me. He's my glory. He's the lifter of my head. And it's important to realize that David is not starting his perspective on who God is from a me-centered theology. You understand that? He's not talking about it, how, how he sees God or how it's related to him. It's about, it's about God existing on his own in his own glory. And he's pointing out is the personal relationship that we have with God and how impactful it is in times of trouble. A shield about me, my glory, the lifter of my head. These are the words uh, of somebody who knows that God has not abandoned him. In fact, it's important to note here, at no point has God left David's side. And David knows it. That's why he turns to God first. He doesn't say, God, where are you? And now there's songs for that. There's times where, where David doubts that or wonders that. But here, he immediately, he just speaks to God, realizing God's always been there. His relationship with the Lord is still intact. Is this true for you? Is this your testimony? Because I know for myself that usually when there's times that I feel troubled, I, I think back and I realize, you know what, my, my time with the Lord has not been what it should be. Um, I don't know the last time I, I prayed to the Lord or called out to Him for help. And it's, it's usually that kind of orange light on the dashboard of my car that makes me remember, oh yeah, I guess it's been a while since I spent time with the Lord. And when I'm stressed or overwhelmed or, or feeling beat up, it's only then that I remember, oh yeah, you know what, it's been a while since I've opened up my Bible. It's been a while since I've prayed to God. But David is in step with the Lord and David declares this truth. He says, the Lord is my shield. Um, where does this come from? When the great patriarch, uh, after Abraham defeated his enemies in Genesis 15, 1, God says this, Fear not, Abram, for I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is the confidence that Abraham feels when he is with the Lord. God is a shield that protects us in times of battle. Now, we all know what a shield is. Uh, if you don't, I'll say it. A shield is a, a round or a square military tool, a protection that a warrior would hold on to in battle to deflect you know, arrows or swords, spears. <clears throat> but remember, a, a shield can only provide limited protection. To shield yourself on one side was to leave the other side unprotected. But as David uses this example in Psalm 3.3, he invokes a different type of protection. He says, the Lord is a shield about me. Maybe underline or highlight that phrase in your Bible. <coughs> it means he covers every side. In, in your life, I want to remind you this morning that God has every angle covered. God has every side thought through. He's got your back. When you're overwhelmed with life over here, when you are <coughs> maybe overwhelmed with family or a certain problem or project, the Lord shields you on the other side from, from slander. The Lord protects you in areas that you feel 
vulnerable in. The second thing we see here is the Lord is my glory. The Lord is my glory. Now, this may be a, a bit of a confusing sentence because glory in Scripture usually references God's glory. But what David's saying here is that his sense of self-identity and self-worth is rooted in God's glory. He has been pushed out and banished from his throne. He has been exiled from his city by his own son. Yet again, David reminds himself here, he's preaching to himself that his worth was never in his throne. His worth was never in the city that he oversaw the subjects or the armies or the riches. Instead, the Lord is his glory. David is literally saying, I am somebody, not because I am king, but because I belong to the one who is the true king of heaven and earth. The Lord is my glory. And so think about that for yourselves this morning. How many times do we allow uh, circumstances in life or people around us to steal our, our self-worth? And I'm not talking about us having this inflated view of ourselves that we're, you know, amazing snowflakes and that we're all wonderfully created. That's, some of that's true, but I'm talking about that is that if we realize that we are with the Lord, nothing can take our identity away from us. Someone gets promoted ahead of you at work. It seems like, you know, everyone's kind of moving on in life or having babies or getting jobs or buying houses, all these things that we compare ourselves with in lives oftentimes. And David reminds us, sons and daughters of God, you have worth because you belong to the king. That's all that matters. And then finally in verse 3, he, he says, the lifter of my head. This phrase provides this, this powerful imagery at the end of 2 Samuel chapter 15, when David's son, Absalom, um, his, his plan became clear. David is devastated. He's, he's sorrowful. He's mulling over the logistics of, of leaving the palace, and he's overcome with grief. 2 Samuel 15, 30, it, it talks about this. But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered, and all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up weeping as they went. I, I, I kind of equate this to those days where maybe you and I come home from work or a conversation that was tough, and, and it's like, I just want to draw the curtains and crawl in bed and die, right? Like, just, I don't want to be around people. Um, I'll spend the $40 on DoorDash. I'll just have the food come to me, right? Like, I don't want to cook. I don't want to see people. And David's stress and his pain... It causes him to cover his head. There's nothing he could do to lift his head in victory. But in Psalm 3, David reminds himself and us that the Lord is the lifter of his head. And, and this is a reference to, to this. In the ancient world, subjects would bow their head before a king when the king judged their, their case. And so if the king sided against the subject, he would put his foot on the top of their neck. And that would express condemnation. That would express either death or that we're ruling against you. But if the king sided with that subject, he would vindicate him by lifting his head up. And David says this, I, I presented my case before the Lord. And I'm confident that when he hears my case, when he hears my, my, my story, he will lift my head. And that's what God will do for those who trust in him as well. He will lift you up. He will lift your head up. And all of this allows David to put his confidence in the Lord. This is who God is. But just like David, we put our confidence in the Lord because of what he has done. And that's the second part of this, because of what God has done. Look at verse 4. I cried aloud to the Lord, 
And he answered me from his holy hill, Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. What's David describing here in, in verse 4? I think what we see here is God's gracious answer to a believer's prayer. David prays to the Lord. He, he, by the way, it says that he cried aloud to the Lord. You see the urgency in his prayer. There are times for quiet, contemplative prayer. There are times for that quiet walk in the woods. But there's also a time to cry out to God, God, help me. I need your help more than anything. And so David cries out to the Lord. And where does God answer his prayer from? From his holy hill. This is a representation of God sitting on his throne. And in a, a bit of irony, I, I wonder if David even is aware of this. David is the one who is used to sitting on a throne, hearing requests, answering them, putting armies into motion, putting servants into motion. But David has been banished from his throne. And he realizes that even the things have fallen apart so much, but still he can rely on the true king, God who's sitting on his throne and his rule and his reign that will last forever. And it's in this answered prayer that David finds rest. He lays down in verse 5 and sleeps. When was the last time you had a good night's sleep? I was, I was joking with some friends recently about uh, pillows and um, what kinds of pillows that we have, because that's what you do when you're past 40, is you talk about the quality of your mattresses and your pillows. <laughs> and if you haven't talked about it yet, you will now. You'll talk about that, have a conversation on the way home. Are you happy with your mattress? Are you happy with your pillow? And it is, man, it's, it's so important, right? Like, you don't, when you're 20 years old, you can sleep on anything. But as you get older, it's like, no, I need to have my bed be a certain way. Pillow has to be situated a certain way. Some people need like nine pillows, right? Like there's, there's, there's situations that need to be in place in order for things to work a certain way. And, and David finds rest regardless, regardless of his physical situation. He, regard, he finds rest because of his spiritual confidence in who God is. And God is David's sustainer. And you see for a very... Uh, this is very applicable for a guy like me who I, I've spent a lot, of, a lot of nights tossing and turning and um, wondering and worrying about the future and, and things of that nature. Because I, I think even in our sleep, even in our dreams, right, like we're trying to work the angles, trying to make things work. And there's a spiritual maturity still to be attained where we can simply just rest in God's work and not our own. And I, I hope, Christian, that you are there. I hope that we can... All aim for that type of deep rest that David experiences here in, in verse 5. Let's keep reading. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Thousands of people who have set themselves against me. Um, have you ever had someone chase you before? I hope not. Not like looking at a, a game of tag as a kid, but like as an adult. Oh, that would be crazy. I hope that doesn't happen to you. Um, if you go online, there's uh, one of my favorite videos that I like to show friends and my kids. It's like these Japanese pranks where people will like, this crowd of like 100 people will turn a corner and just start chasing after this one person walking down the street. And it's completely overwhelming, right, to this one person. Um, that's, that's almost what I think about when I read this verse, right? Almost. But David explains that he, he feels like, and he, it's actually probably not hyperbole, there are thousands of people chasing after him. Saul's, uh, I mean, we got Absalom and his, his army that's chasing after uh, David. And 
there are people after him. He's got plenty of reasons to be afraid. But because he knew who, who his God was and what God, God had done for him, David determined that he was not going to allow his fear to dictate how he responded. And, and we see this all throughout Scripture, that the Bible links our ability to manage our fear directly to our faith. There's a connection there. Uh, trust in God relieves fear. And it doesn't, doesn't matter how great the opposition may be. Numbers may be uh, not in our favor. Psalm 27 says this, though, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat of my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. This is the good news for us as we think of those overwhelming situations, as we feel like we're being attacked from many different positions. So far in Psalm 3, we've allowed our our minds to be reshaped by Scripture, hopefully, when we deal with trouble and stress. We've been answering this question, what do we do when it all falls apart? The first thing is we give our problems over to God. Number two is we put our confidence in the Lord because of who He is and what He's done. We don't despair. We don't fear. We don't wring our hands with worry like the rest of the world. We, we ask for courage and faith because of who we serve. We serve the King of Kings, the one who sits on the throne. And finally, <clears throat> number three, remind yourself that God will set things right. It's God who will set things right. This, this may be, this may be the, the one thing you guys need to hear this morning. Because Psalm 3 is a prayer to God, but it isn't until verses 7 and 8 that David actually starts making requests. Which is a great model for us, by the way. He, he thanks God, he has good theology, and then at the end he shares... These requests. And when he finally gets around to asking God to move, he does so with confidence, knowing that God is able. Look at verse 7. It says, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. David's bold request is an example of an imprecatory psalm. In layman's term, an imprecatory psalm is a get em, Lord psalm. It's a get em, Lord, prayer. And <clears throat> you see, the words are harsh. The words are, are harsh. David's needs are many. His stress is high, and his first instinct, like us, is probably to take matters into his own hands. But David has a different approach. He's asking God to fight his battle. A strike on the cheek, what is that about? That's not, it doesn't seem like he would cause too much physical harm. It's, it's more about the insult. And so what David is doing here is he's asking the Lord to put his enemies in their place. Can you imagine for a second if you were slapped in the face by a colleague at work? Hopefully none of you have experienced that before. <clears throat> well, on, on top of it being grounds for a lawsuit, or it would be so demeaning, right? It would be so embarrassing. And that's what David is asking for God to do. Put people in their right place. Restore order, Lord. Things are out of control. The, the good guys are, are losing. The bad guys are winning. Like, God, would you help us create some order here? And at the end of verse 7, David goes a step further, and he describes God breaking the teeth of the wicked. Now, this seems incredibly violent and harsh because it is. But, but on the bright side, consider the restraint that David has. David can ask God for anything he wants to. David doesn't ask God to kill them. 
David simply asked God to break their teeth so they are no longer a threat to devour him. God is, David is asking for a specific type of help here, not just to destroy your enemies. He's saying, God, these enemies that are surrounding me, they want to wound me, they want to bite me, uh, would you take away their ability to do this? This gives us some pause about the type of God we serve who entertains requests like this. Uh, I realize that sometimes we, we think about God in these terms of being angry or Old Testament kind of upset, right? Like, but the point here is not so much what God does or doesn't do as a result. The point here is that David abstains from taking justice with his own hands. And he recognizes that anything lasting that he does with his own ability, it will pale in comparison to what God can do on his behalf. Uh, again, I want to encourage you guys. Do, do, you see, do you see the Lord at work in these ways in your own lives? Do you realize that, that that's true for us, that God can do so much more, so much more lasting uh, work on our behalf than we ever could if we rush off to make our plans and take things into our own hands? And by giving up our entitlement for justice, that's not something that's popular in this world, right? People take things into their own hands every day. Just go on YouTube and, you know, type in, like, ro like road rage, right? Like, there's all kinds of examples of people who just feel compelled to do things on their own. And in fact, I came up across a website <clears throat> a while back that helps people deal with people who have wronged you, okay? So it's basically a template, a list of six things to do in order to get revenge, it's more of kind of a pep talk, okay? So first of all, number one, uh, get mad, then get even. It's justice, plain and simple. Number two, revenge is healthy. This is just reminders for all of us. Re revenge is healthy. Don't listen to those who tell you otherwise. You're teaching people to behave better. At the same time, you're getting rid of those feelings out of your system once and for all. What could be healthier? Number three, revenge is excellent self-therapy. It's far cheaper than a therapist and much healthier than picking out on a box of donuts. Number four, always aim your revenge for where it hurts most. Go personal. Go right for the jugular. Number five, let your creativity blossom. Don't go for cliches like slashing tires. Boring. Be original. Enjoy yourself. Give your mark an experience they'll never forget. Number six, if you, have something you're not if you do something you're not proud of, be sure to cover your tracks well. Well, at least you can say that you'll learn something in church, right? Like, isn't, isn't the wisdom of the world crazy? Like, uh, King David obviously wouldn't approve of this list. Neither would the Apostle Paul when he says this in Romans 12, 19. He says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Amen. Guys, the, when it comes to my, you know, my plans of how I might avenge my frustrations or, or put someone in their place who has betrayed me versus what God would do with his own wrath. Let's let God do what God does, Amen. right? And then finally in verse 8, as we close this up here, David declares one final area of God's exclusive work, and we'll end with this this morning. He says this, he says, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Salvation and blessing. Remember, so in Psalm 3-2, there were many people who had said, there's no salvation for David and God. But David reminds himself and us this morning 
that they don't have the last word. Salvation does not belong to man. It belongs to God. God does not need any help to produce salvation. God alone saves. And the only thing we bring to our the table is our sin and our need for saving, and God does the rest. And then he says, your blessing be on your people. In this final benediction, it's clear that this personal testimony is not just about David, right? It's not just about David's experience, his personal story. This, this truth of Psalm 3 applies to all of us who put our trust in the Lord. And then finally, Selah. This is a truth that we can rest in. This morning, uh, some of you know exactly how David is, is feeling as he wrote Psalm 3. In your case, maybe you're feeling that right now. You're in the midst of that. It's a, a defeat. It's a failure. It's an embarrassment. There's some type of thing that the enemy will try to exploit and remind you every minute of every day of, of how you're in pain and how you have no hope. Uh, Adult parents, it may even be the rebellion of a child, um, as in the case for David. So for, for some of us, it's the demise of a, a business venture you poured every bit of energy and income into. Some of you, maybe it's less catastrophic, but no less painful. Whatever it is this morning, whatever you hold in your hands that has just fallen apart, we look to Psalm 3 and David's example, and we take our, our fears and our concerns and our complaints to God first. We rest in confidence knowing who he is and because of who he is, what he has done, and how he has proven himself in the past. And so church, in other words, there there is hope. There is hope. And what the psalmist David doesn't fully know then that we know now is that there is hope in the person of Jesus. Because Jesus came into your suffering. Whatever you're experiencing this morning, Jesus is is in the midst of that suffering. He stepped into your brokenness. And if you repent, if you confess your sins and put your faith and trust in him, he can heal everything that is broken. And so as everything feels like it's falling apart, when you feel like you're abandoned, Jesus says to you, I will never leave you or forsake you. When you feel like your enemies are surrounding you, ready to pounce, ready to rip you apart, only Jesus is able to say, peace, be still. When you feel heartbroken, disappointment has set in, only Christ is able to say, do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, and God is there. He's your shield, your glory, and the lifter of your head. Let's bow our heads together and and pray. God, we're grateful for this word, this warning, for this reminder, um, just of King David and and while he experienced so many highs, so many things to, uh, to, to be proud of or to celebrate, Lord, there, there were dark days in, in David's life. And, and, Lord, you've allowed us to see behind the curtain and learn from that. So, God, I pray, Lord, that you would, you would help us remember, remember well, that we as Christians would be a remembering people. That, first of all, we would remember that we are not the first person in history who have, who's had a, a bad day, a bad week, a bad month, who've gone through hard times. And Lord, instead of, of trying to lift ourselves up and, and fixing our own problems, would you help us remember that you are our ever-present help in trouble? God, that you are our shield, that you are our glory, you're the lifter of our head. And Lord, that we would run to you first, 
with our problems, with our complaints, with our, our sadness, even this morning. God, thank you, Lord, for, for being present and for promising us uh, help when we call out for it. 